You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Our final week of uh, our series called uh, We the People. And um, it's been uh, a pretty big day on Tuesday, in case you didn't know. I'm going to elect a a president. Um, And... um, I want you to know, and, and one thing that I love about our church is Tuesday is, Tuesday is, is just the beginning, okay? It's, we don't need to, to, to just have a, a influence over um, the, the presidential election. We've got state assemblies. We've got uh, houses of Congress. We've got a judicial circuit. We've got local school boards. We've got, uh, we need to infiltrate every single area uh, at a federal level, at a state level, at a local, at local level so that the principles of God are made known in the earth. And I want to, um, I want to specifically, you know, over 2020, um, and I'm sure many of you have heard uh, this several times. Katie and I have certainly heard it about 15,000 times. I want to just on this last week of this We the People series, I want to address the idea, and, and again, we've heard it over and over again, that the church should just stay out of politics, okay? And I want to just, I want to address it. I want to look at, I'm actually, I want to give you guys um, a couple of, of case studies at how um, the world changed when the church got involved in politics. And so Jesus said, um, when the disciples said, hey, how do, how do we pray? Can you teach us? He said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy, what is a kingdom? It's a form of government. And what we are supposed to pray is that the government of heaven, the way that heaven operates, would come to earth. That's what we are called to pray, to bring heaven to earth, that there's supposed to be a collision between the spiritual and the physical. God cares about the way that we live. God cares about the earth. God cares about the way that we relate to one another. So the title of my message is The Church That Changes Things. The church that changes things. I'm going to give you two case studies, um, one historical and one biblical, of how the people of God um, got involved and made massive changes. Okay? So I'm going to start with the, uh, with the historical one. You guys good with that? You ready? Come on. So in 1787, in a little print shop outside of London, uh, 12 guys got together and they formed uh, a group. They, they called it the Coalition for the Abolition of the Slave Trade. And these 12 guys, one of them was, uh, was a man named William Wilberforce, a very famous um, Christian orator. And within 20 years, okay, 20 years, 12 men were able to get the, the slave trade abolished in mainland England. 12 guys, 20 years got the slave trade completely abolished in uh, mainland England. Now, it took a lot longer for that to propagate, you know, over here to the United States, but it was 12 men, and they were Christian men. Make no mistake about it, slavery was abolished by Christians, by Christians. It was Christians who abolished the slave trade. And these, these men... It wasn't like they just got together and they just prayed and read their Bibles and and said, come on, you know, God, turn people's hearts. Of course they prayed, but they got involved. They, they They had meetings with houses of parliament in England, with the House of Commons. They were very politically active. 
And you know, we've heard this, this argument and, and where, you know, if we, we just, if, we, if we as the church would just stick to the word, if we would just stick to the word, just preach Jesus, then that'll take, everything will take care of itself. You know, God will work on their hearts and that'll, that'll change things. And we've heard that a ton in 2020. Just, you know what, let's just stick to the word. These 12 guys didn't just stick to the word. These 12 guys, they wrote pamphlets, they printed brochures, they, they wrote uh, newspaper articles, they did everything they could to put whatever collateral together they could to get the word out of the principles of God, the evils of the slave trade. These guys didn't just sit around and read their Bible, they did stuff. And our modern, our modern day equivalent of pamphlets and treatises and whatever is Instagram. Instagram stories, Instagram posts. And so we, our pastors, um, and the leadership of our church has taken incredible heat because we have spoken out publicly on social channels and we've been very politically outspoken. And people say, hey, don't do that. You know, you, you just be the church, just talk about Jesus. But that's what these 12 men did. They saw wicked in the world. They leveraged every platform they could to get the word out of the principles of God and they changed things. Now listen, there was all kinds of, you know, woke enlightenment philosophers back then that, that opposed slavery, uh, you know, quietly, that, uh, you know, Montesquieu and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, they would write lightly about their opposition to it, but it would make no mistake about it. It was Christians who put their reputations on the line, who went against the grain, against what was popular in culture, and said, this is not right. We're going to do something about it. It was Christians. And it was, it was the word of God that moved them. It was the fact that they knew this. And that's why I'm so thankful for our pastors. Last week at this campus, we heard Pastor Jurgen open this up and do an amazing deep dive on the scriptures. And it was the word of God that moved these men, these 12 men. They couldn't reconcile what they read in the word of God with what they saw in the world when they read in Genesis that God made them in his image that every single one of us, regardless of our skin color, carries the image of God. They couldn't reconcile that with what they saw in the world and they had to do something about it. It was their obsession with the word of God that forced them to do something. When they read in Acts 17 that all of the nations of the earth, regardless of, of skin color, came from one man, that we're all the same. They couldn't reconcile that with what they saw in the world. And they didn't just sit together and pray about it. They did something. They spoke out. They were politically active. And I want to, you know, it's a little bit of a history lesson here, but slavery was a partisan issue. Okay, partisan issue. There was a political party, the Democrats, who were in the South. I know we've kind of switched, but back then the Democrats were in the South and they were pro-slavery. There was another party, the Republicans, that were in the North that were anti-slavery. Slavery was an incredibly partisan issue at the time. And there was one great man of God named Frederick Douglass, who was uh, considered the, the father of the abolitionist movement. And he was a devout man of God. He was an ordained lay preacher um, in his church. And he became the voice of, of the abolition of the slave trade in America. He was an African-American who was uh, a slave until he was 20 years old. And he saw unbelievable cruelty and violence and rape and murder. And he was able to escape at the age of 20, made his way to freedom and became the most outspoken voice. He became the, the, poster, the, the poster man for the abolitionist movement at age 34. And they're gonna, I'm going to have the media team put a quote up from Frederick Douglass. And listen, this was a Christian man. And I want you to, to, I'm going to read what he said. Can you guys throw it up there for me? 
Yes. I want you to listen to how amazing this is. Frederick Douglass said, we are at liberty to inquire how far our vote at a given time will forward what we conceive to be the highest interests of society. And having considered this, we are at liberty, nay, it is our indispensable duty to cast our vote in that direction, which upon a survey of the whole facts in the case will best promote that great end. And then he publicly, Christian, publicly put his support behind President Abraham Lincoln. He endorsed a candidate for president, got behind a political party. And listen, Abraham Lincoln was not some super devout Christian man. He, he, there's a lot of speculation about whether he was a Christian, whether or not he, he would quote scripture sometimes, but in, in private, he, he, he was a lot more of just a free thinker. It wasn't like Abraham Lincoln was the Christian that, that they'd all been praying for. He was, you know, had everything put together. He actually wasn't even um, 100% soul. He wasn't an abolitionist. The only thing that Abraham Lincoln cared about was keeping the union together. He did not want the southern states to secede. Okay, so it wasn't like this president was everything in the world that the abolitionists, the Christian abolitionists had been praying for. He was perfect. He was a godly man. He spoke in tongues while he was writing the Gettysburg Address or anything like that. He was, um, he, but, but uh, a paper I read said that Lincoln was not an abolitionist president. At best, he was moderately anti-slavery. However, this option was better than having a democratic candidate in office, one who would do nothing but hurt the abolitionist cause. So what you have is a Christian man, okay, who surveyed the political landscape in his country, and as a Christian took a political stand, he publicly endorsed a candidate, Um, he supported the party that he believed was most aligned with what God was trying to do to shift the moral fabric in his country. That's what he did. And after the abolitionist movement really started to get some momentum, started by Christians, it was uh, dissenting churches that really blew the movement up, okay? To dissent means to go against the grain. There's a popular opinion, and there were some churches that dissented, that went with what is not popular. You go to a dissenting church, okay? There are... Dozens and dozens and dozens of churches in San Diego that have just said, hey, you know what, we're going um, to comply, we're going to have church online for, for the rest of the year, or maybe next year, who knows, and let's just, you know, we're not, and this church has said, no, we're not going to be pushed around by the draconian lockdowns, we're going to stand up for the, the right to praise our God, to sing songs in church, you go to a dissenting church, and these churches that stood up for uh, against slavery, they were not, that wasn't the majority. It wasn't like the, the, the churches in those days, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, you know, slavery is a fact of life. I mean, is it the best thing in the world? No, but, you know, it just kind of is what it is. It's a political issue. But it was the dissenting churches that grew this movement, this abolitionist movement that abolished the slave trade. And listen to how amazing this is, okay? You have, slavery was the a, a massive um, foundation of, of the economy. I mean, it was not just like a small thing. It was like the, the, the way that the country ran back then, okay? But when Christians stood up, preached the word of God unashamedly, didn't water it down, didn't try to, how, how can I make this not offend? You know, the, 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 how can we minimize the offense? They preached it unashamedly. And in one generation, 
the tide had turned where the prevailing sentiment in the United States was that this was wrong, that this is not in line with the principles of God. We have to shift this in one generation, one generation. That means in our lifetime, we can see something amazing. We can see, we can see things change in our country in our lifetime. And Jonathan Edwards uh, Jr., Jonathan Edwards Sr. Is the, was the, um, the minister who was responsible for the Great Awakening in the United States. And, um, and his son said that, you know, when he wrote this um, back in the 1800s, he said, 30 years ago, there was scarcely a man in this country that thought that either the slave trade or, the, or slavery of Africans was wrong. But in one generation... Because people preached the word of God unashamedly. They didn't back down from the scriptures. In one generation, it was changed. And you know, there's, there's, still, there's still a lot of darkness in our country. And pick an issue. I mean, even though slavery has been abolished, for, there's, still, there's still racism. There's still hatred towards others. There's, um, in, it's amazing to me that like now, when in 200 years later, we look at the slave trade, and we, we're appalled. I mean, it's abhorrent. And we look back and we say, how in the world could anybody have allowed that to happen? We, but you know, back then it was just like, oh, it's a fact of life. Now we look at it and we say, oh my gosh, it's, it's, um, it's disgusting, right? I'm telling you, in 200 years from now, we will say the same thing about abortion. Well, we won't. We'll be dead. We'll be long dead. We'll be long dead. But your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren are going to look back and they're going to say, how? How did, we, how, did that, how did that happen in this country in 200 years? And my question for myself, for my wife, is what side of history are we going to be on? What side of history are we going to be on? And, you know, I, uh, I've been kind of saying it in private to, to some of our leaders, but I'm actually going to say it publicly. You know, we're, Pastor Jurgen has a vision for 16 campuses, okay? That means there's going to be campuses that come out of this campus. We're going to expand, and we're, gonna, we're not just going to stay in Eastlake. We're going to plant campuses in other parts of South San Diego. And in downtown Chula Vista, there's a Michael's that's right next to a Target that's right across the street from a Planned Parenthood. And for, I don't know why, I was driving by, and God spoke to me and said, pray for that building. And so I'm going to pray for that building. And we're going to infiltrate, isn't it ironic that if you, it just, I did it this morning, just Google Planned Parenthood San Diego and you'll get a little map and you'll find where all the locations are. And every single one of them is in poor parts of town. They're in National City, they're in El Cajon, they're in downtown. There's none in Del Mar. There's none in Eastlake. You know what we have in Eastlake? We have fertility clinics. We have the opposite where rich people were just like, hey, let's, you know, let's try to have babies. But it's predatory in nature. It's predatory. It's predatory. They go to these low-income neighborhoods where, where it's so easy to say, when someone is pregnant, to say, man, how am I going to take care of this, this, this kid? I can't afford this. I can't. And they pray. It's, it's strategically predatory. And so we are going to be a church that stands up to the wickedness in this generation, and we're going to see things shift. And in one generation, in one generation, we could see things change in this country. And I want you to know that you go to a church that puts its money where its mouth is, okay? We give money to crisis pregnancy centers. You want to know an amazing story, an amazing story, a crisis pregnancy center that we financially support, that many of our members attend and volunteer at. They shared a wall with a Planned Parenthood clinic. And every day they would put their hands on the wall that they shared with Planned Parenthood and they would pray. 
They would pray that God would evict this wickedness. They prayed that God would minister to these poor women and, and, and potential fathers that are having to wrestle with this. They would pray that God would minister to them and they would lay their hands on this wall and they would pray. And that Planned Parenthood went out of business. And guess who's in that space right now? That pregnancy center took over that space. We infiltrated the wickedness and we claimed that territory for the kingdom of God. That's the kind of church that you go to. That's the kind of church that we're a part of. I'm so thankful for our incredible, and so just pick your, pick your thing. I don't know what it is. Maybe it, maybe it is abortion. Maybe that's, maybe that's the, the hill that you, that you want to die on. I know that for Katie and I, man, we, we were going to shout that from the mountaintops. We're going to declare the wickedness. We're going to, and, and I want you to know something. I think um, our church has, um, has maybe taken a little bit of flack for being so heavy-handed, so strong, so vocally opposed to the practice of abortion. And the, the argument is, well, gosh, you know, it's not, it's not very, very, you know, ministering to the people that have gone through. I want you to know that our church um, is, is, has unbelievable resources for people that have gone. And isn't it amazing that, that what um, those who, who um, are, are in favor of abortion, the way that they position is, I mean, it's, it's no big deal. It's just a, a clump of cells. You just do what you gotta do and you move on. But we, as pastors, we see the wake of destruction that it leaves. It takes women years and years and years to process um, this thing that has happened to them. So it is not just a, and so I want you to know, so there's a, a, a woman at our church, um, and she's told the story publicly, but, um, but uh, I'll, I'll just keep her, her name out of it. But she is probably the most um, vocal opponent of abortion at our church. She talks about it all the time. She posts about it. She is so um, just uh, unashamed of her opposition. And um, she's been criticized for um, being so heavy-handed and, and, and being so, so lacking sensitivity. But the truth is, is that she had an abortion. And the reason that she is, sh- is so unashamed, so passionate, is not out of some place of condemnation, shaking her finger and fist at people. It's because she herself has gone through the pain and she would not wish it on anybody. And so that is, I want you to know that you go to a church who is equally um, pastoral and declares of the truth. That we're, gonna, we're not gonna back away from what is true, but we're also gonna minister. We're gonna extend kindness, give resources, pray for deliverance for those who are in dark places. And pick any, pick any of, you know, it's not just, abortion's not the only, only thing wrong with our country in the same way that slavery wasn't the only thing wrong with the United States of America way back when. We have blurred lines of, of, of gender identity where we have these young kids. One political candidate for president, I won't say which, in a town hall meeting on record confirmed and affirmed that it was okay for an eight-year-old, eight years old, to decide their gender identity. That's a big decision at eight years old. You can't even, like, eight-year-olds want to have cake for breakfast. And parents have to be like, no, you can't have cake for breakfast. Okay, we're still working out, like, how to not eat cake for breakfast. And we're going to, it's okay to, to, to put that, man, there, pick your poison. There is wickedness in this country that we need to stand up. And in one generation, in one generation, we can see things shift. I'll give you, um, I'll give you a biblical case study now as we come to a close. In... Uh, 1 Kings 18, well, it's kind of 17, 18, um, and 19. I'll just, I'll paraphrase the story for the sake of time, and then I'm going to put a verse on behind me here in just a second. 
But uh, there was a, a man named Elijah who was a prophet of God. And, um, and there was a king over Israel and a queen. It was Ahab and Jezebel. And the Bible says that they were wicked as could be. And the Bible actually says that um, Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than anyone before him. Okay? And Elijah meets Ahab. And um, when, uh, I'm just going to read it. It's not going to be on the, on the screen, but it's um, 1 Kings 18. It says, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler, troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, and he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. And the Baals were the, the false idols at the time. Now, th- think about what's actually happening. You know, we just kind of read it and we gloss over it. This was King Ahab. This was a man in political power that, that Elijah stood up to and said, you are not following the commandments of the Lord. He stood up to a political figure and said, you are not following the commandments of the Lord. And we, we just kind of read it and gloss over it and say, hey, the church shouldn't be involved in politics. This is the Bible I'm reading you, where it's, that's a political thing, standing up to the king and the queen. That's a political move. So then they have this big, you know, if you know the story, they have this big showdown, this big standoff where they, they say, hey, you know, you pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. We'll see, you know, when the fire falls. The fire falls when Elijah prays. Then he slaughters all these prophets, and Jezebel gets really upset, very angry. She says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow, buddy, before the sun sets, you're done for. So Elijah gets really, gets scared and, and runs and hides in a cave. And then there's an earthquake and some wind. And I'm paraphrasing a lot really, really quickly. But then a still small voice comes to Elijah and says that there's still 7,000 in Israel, a remnant that are going to come alongside you, that are going to join in this great plight. And then he says, I want you to anoint King Hezael, king over Syria. Anoint Jehu, Jehu, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha as the prophet in your place. So I want you to think about what happened, okay? At a high level, this is what took place. A man of God saw wickedness in his land. He stood up in defiance, took a political stance, was... uh, talked to the king and the queen, called out their wickedness, pointed to the commandments of God, talked about the truth of God, okay? Then he um, has this, he prays earnestly for a great move of God, for the fire of God to fall. And so every Tuesday, the men of this church and the women of this church, we get together and we pray. And listen, this Tuesday is particularly important. So I want to see our men's prayer meeting, our women's prayer meeting packed out. 5.30 in the morning if you're a man right here, 7 a.m. if you're a lady. And we're going to pray for this country just as Elijah prayed. He prayed for a great move of God and God moved. And then what happens? God set in motion in response to Elijah's defiance, to his devotion to prayer. He sets in motion the next wave of leaders that are going to execute the judgments of God. He says, go anoint Hezael, king of Syria. Go anoint Jehu, king over Israel. Go anoint Elisha, prophet in your place. So there was a, an uprising of the next wave of leaders that were going to execute God's will in the earth. And then God gave him a remnant of 7,000 people. Do you know how many people came to church two weeks ago at Awakened Church? 7,000 people. And so you may say, hey, nice story, Mike. That's Old Testament, okay? New Testament church. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Romans 11, New Testament, 
The Apostle Paul quotes this exact story. This they're gonna put up on the screen. I want you to look at it, Romans 11, two through five. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have, now he's quoting Elijah. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. This isn't an Old Testament thing. This is a now thing. There's 7,000 people in San Diego that are gonna see the will of God, that are gonna see heaven come to earth, the will of God done in our city, in Jesus' mighty name. And so as we come to a close, go ahead and hop to your feet if you don't mind. I wanna pray for some people. And I wanna pray for you if you feel, and, and I, don't, I don't know, you know what it is. I'm not saying you're gonna go run for president in eight years or, or maybe so. I know one thing that's, that's amazing. I was having lunch with Pastor Jurgen, and, and he's had people over the years say, you know, hey, you should, you know, he, he wasn't born here. He's a German who was uh, born in Germany, raised in Australia, um, is a citizen of the United States now, but I'm, I'm fairly certain if I know my political science that he can't run for president, okay? Because he's not a naturalized citizen. But he could run for Congress. And people have said over the years, Pastor Jurgen, gosh, you, you would be an amazing congressman. You know what Pastor Jurgen said? He said, no, that's not my calling. My calling is to raise up the men and women of God to step into those political offices. And so I wanna pray for um, anybody in here who just feels called, and, and maybe you don't know what, again, maybe you're not, I'm not asking you to commit to running for the Senate next week, okay? But whatever, a local school board, um, a, a, a city council position, and if you feel the call of God to, and, and maybe it's not even to, to actually run for any kind of office, but just to be involved, to just to, um, to be a part of the voice that would execute the, the will of God in the earth, I want you to just lift your hand and I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray a blessing over you. I'm gonna pray an impartation that the, the power of God is gonna fill you. You're gonna be filled with courage. God, I thank you for these bold men and women God, the Elijahs of today that are gonna stand up in defiance of tyranny, in defiance of wickedness. And God, that they're going to be men and women devoted to prayer, that they're gonna pray for your power to fall, that they're gonna pray against the idolatry of, of our current, um, uh, the, the current world we live in, God, that they're gonna see the power of God fall in their lives, God, that you're gonna bless them with, with, uh, with financial abundance, God, that you're gonna bless them in their marriages, that they're gonna live a blessed life, God. And as they take a stand, to see the will of God done in the earth. God, I pray for courage. I pray for an impartation right now, right now. Your Holy Spirit fills their heart, fills their mind with courage. Courage means you have to put yourself in danger. If you don't, if danger doesn't exist, then courage doesn't exist. You cannot be courageous unless there is danger. And so God, we know that these men and women are gonna put themselves in dangerous places where their reputation may be tarnished, where their family may be threatened even, God. But God, we say that you're gonna give us courage, 
that you are gonna impart courage. And God, we declare that we will see in the nation that you have given us to steward, we will see a great move of God like has never been seen before. God, we declare another great awakening where people turn from their wicked ways, God. And as your word says that you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, did you guys receive that today? Come on, I'm so proud of you. So listen, this Tuesday, if you don't normally come to men's prayer, fine, but come on Tuesday, okay? We're gonna pray for this nation. We're gonna pray, and we're not just gonna pray for the presidential election. We're gonna pray for our city. God has put us in the south part of San Diego to see things change. We're gonna pray for another campus in downtown Chula Vista, right next to that Planned Parenthood. We're gonna pray that we see the altars of wickedness torn down in our nation, that we see a returning to godliness in this country. So listen, if you're in here and you're um, not a Christian and you're like, that all sounds great. I, I, wanna, I wanna join that team. I wanna be on the winning team. And you know, as we close, um, there's a study I read a long time ago that, that changed, it changed me, it was amazing. It was a, uh, a paper in the American Political Science Review, okay? So this isn't like the, you know, focus on the family with, with James. This is like a secular, a secular publication, okay? This is a peer-reviewed secular journal article. And it talks about the effects that Christian missions have had on developing nations. And it's this sprawling survey looking at a bunch of different third world countries that historically have had a high focus of Christian missions and then others that haven't. And the results are unbelievable. The nations that historically have had a higher focus of, of Christian missions are far healthier nations today. And not just, be, not just like there's a bunch of Christians that live there, they have lower infant mortality rates. They have higher levels of educational attainment. They have higher literacy, literacy rates. It's kind of ironic that I stammered on the word literacy. They have higher literacy rates, especially among women. They have higher gross domestic products. They have, these are far healthier nations. And listen, it's because Jesus wasn't whistling Dixie when he said that you are going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Sumeria, then the ends of the earth. That's exactly how it happened. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up in Jerusalem and that's where it started. Then in Acts chapter five, it says that um, from all the surrounding cities, people came in. The surrounding cities would make up the state of Judea. Then in Acts eight or nine, not, I can't recall, um, Stephen is martyred. And that persecution scatters the early disciples and a man named Philip goes to Samaria and was the first evangelist to leave the state of Judah. And you are sitting in a church of Jesus Christ in San Diego because it went to the ends of the earth. And I just want you to know, you're on the winning team. You're on the winning team. God is doing something. God is shifting things. And we get to be a part of it. So listen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.